Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. I'm your host, Acacia Courtney, and I am currently running, as I always like to joke on this week, I'm running on dry shampoo and coffee because it is Pegasus World Cup week. Looking forward to January 29th, and this is a very Pegasus-themed episode of the podcast that I'm looking forward to. And of course, uh, looking forward to the now three Pegasus World Cup races with the dirt turf and Philly and Mare turf that we'll have coming up at Gulfstream Park um, on Saturday. Be part of the simulcast team. I also produce the Pegasus show for us at Gulfstream as well. So running around like a crazy person all week, but I'm finishing up this recording in the middle of the week. We just drew the fields. And of course, there's so much else going on behind the scenes. So really happy to be able to introduce you to a couple uh, people who one individual who really makes things happen behind the scenes throughout Pegasus World Cup weekend and a couple of individuals who are really special partners with the Pegasus World Cup and have their own tremendous and and fascinating and really impactful stories to bring. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode. If you're coming out on Saturday for the Pegasus World Cup, please stop and say hello. Look forward to seeing you and of course look forward to some great racing as we'll dive right into this week's episode of In the Ring. Very happy and very honored to welcome in a special guest this morning, Dr. Dion Benson, the Chief Veterinary Officer of First Racing and someone so widely respected in the industry to give us a little bit of insight on uh, some of the big things with the Big Pegasus World Cup weekend coming up. Dr. Benson, thank you so much for taking the time this morning. Thank you for having me. Well, as mentioned, Pegasus World Cup coming up, one of the marquee events uh, for Gulfstream Park and for first racing in general. Can you give me a little bit of a background on your end on what some of the preparation has been like for this weekend? Yeah, sure. Actually, our preparation started um, a few weeks ago. Um, as soon as the first lists of uh, the nominees or the, the invitees came out, uh, we started planning and preparing to do out-of-competition testing. Um, all of the horses that are in as of right now have been tested between seven and days or seven and 14 days prior to the race. Um, it is mm -hmm. out of competition testing that tests for anything that is absolutely illegal. We also look for therapeutic drugs to make sure anything that we see then wouldn't show up on race day, um, just based on pharma pharmacology of the drug. Um, and so we really started there. And then the next big thing that we start is when the horses arrive this week, uh, we start checking them every morning that for the three big races, the Pegasus World Cup, the Pegasus World Cup turf, and the Pegasus Phillies and Mares race. So that is the whole next big process that we're going to start mm -hmm. tomorrow morning. And this has been uh, such a huge thing for first racing in general and really focusing on this aspect of the sport, on, on bringing you in as the chief veterinary officer. Um, how important is that for this company and the steps that FIRST has been taking? Well, I think it's important for more than just FIRST racing. I think it's important for all of racing. Um, you know, we definitely have taken steps to modernize the sport and really address the issues of horse safety, which is paramount on you know most people's minds when they're enjoying racing um, and even our critics of racing one of their uh, cri critiques is that there aren't enough safety initiatives so you know we've really tried to work on modernizing the sport and putting the horse at the center of that 
tell me a little bit about your process, if you will, just uh, maybe from a personal aspect, because I think that this is something that maybe the, the average fan may may find interesting as well, because for people that know horses, they really are such individuals, though, for maybe the naked eye, they look like they could all be the same. What are some of the things that you really kind of zero in on to maybe find some things that could be a red flag? Yeah. So, I mean, we start with um, getting all of their, their medical records for the two weeks prior to racing. And those are coming in as we speak. Um, we ask their private veterinarian who works with the horse every day to look at the horse before even entering. So, when the horses go to entry, enter today for all of the races on Saturday, there is a list of horses mm-hmm. that have been checked by their private veterinarian, and those are the ones that are allowed to enter. So we're getting their opinion first and really bringing them into mm-hmm. it. Now then, what we do next is, is we really start by watching and looking at each horse. We watch them on the mm-hmm. track because sometimes they look different under saddle than they do in the shed row. So that can be a very important mm-hmm. thing. And we've got veterinarians at uh, Palm Meadows and Gulfstream Park to watch horses, all of the horses that are entered. Um, the horses for the big three races have to be on the grounds 72 hours beforehand, so we'll actually watch them at Gulfstream Park. We also have vets going to Palm Beach Downs and Payson Park, which are local training facilities, uh, to, to watch horses that are entered on Pegasus Day but aren't in the big races. And when I actually go through and look at a horse, I mean, first of all, you you take a look at the horse. I mean, you know, you kind of look at the big picture, see how they, are they bright? Are they alert? Are they kind of hanging their head and quiet? Um, you know, that's a really good indication of the overall health of the horse. You look at the, the horse's coat. Does it look shiny and br- their eyes look bright? And then we really start looking at their legs. Um, you know, so what we do and what I do in each of these exams is to um, manipulate, pick up, flex their, their front legs to make sure all their joints, you know, they don't have any reaction to me picking them up or, or manipulating them that would indicate pain. Um, we check for heat, effusion, um, any reaction to any um, what we call palpation. So if we're, we're checking the tendons or the bones that they don't react or flinch, in it, which would also indicate pain. Um, we also look for, um, you know, uh, any changes, any, uh, scars, anything that has, has existed in the, in the, uh, horse before. And for most of these horses, uh, we actually are able to access records of veterinarians that have looked at them in other jurisdictions. So the regulatory vets in other jurisdictions, um, in most of the jurisdictions that these horses are coming from actually enter their exams into a national database that is accessible by track and regulatory veterinarians. And so we can see if a horse, for example, has a scar on its tendon, is that something new? Mm -hmm. Or is that something that's been noted for years and it's maybe something that they did when they were a yearling? Um, And then we watch the horses jog. So we'll watch them jog in the shed row. Um, And from there, it's just based on whether we have any concerns on what we see there. So if, if I have a question. My next step is usually to take them outside on the hard ground because sometimes that will show you different things. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll also jog them in a circle. And then if we are still at the point where we have questions about a horse, we will actually ask for diagnostics like radiographs or ultrasound. Um, We have a surgeon from Rude and Riddle who comes in um, for this event. And 
we make decisions jointly and we also have the ability to send the radiographs to some of the best surgeons in the, in the world um, to get their opinions too. And we've done that certainly in the past and, and made decisions on entry. Um, and we're, you know, if we see something we don't like, uh, we, we make the call early if the horse is going to not be mm-hmm. allowed to race. So many steps that go into it. And as you mentioned, having access to the training centers as well, not just here in, in Florida with the training centers that you mentioned, but you know, you and your team are visible across all of the different first racetracks in Maryland, in California, in Florida as well, and those training centers. How much of a benefit and how important do you think it is in really covering all of those bases? Yeah, it really gives us a good continuity of care and information um, for these horses. You know, we've got horses that are uh, shipping in from California today. And mm-hmm. I was actually out there last weekend and I drew blood out of competition bloods <laughs> on these horses. So I got to look at a men. Um, and we have some very capable and, and excellent veterinarians out there that have looked at these horses many times. And we can take that information and build upon it. And the other nice thing is because we have these vets across the country, we can also pick up the phone and say, you know, I'm seeing this as this consistent with what you've seen. Um, you know, one, one of the, the most worrying phrases for, for me as a veterinarian is when someone tells me, well, the horse always goes like that. <laughs> so, you know, mm-hmm. I, I want to know actually, what does that mean? And, and is this different than it's been before? And I think that when you have independent veterinarians communicating that information, it's a little bit more meaningful. Will you tell me a little bit about your background? Was it always wanting to be a veterinarian and working with horses for you? Um, I actually started out as a lawyer. I practiced law for uh, seven years before I went to vet school. Um, so I I always loved animals. I always loved horses. I was one of those, um, for lack of a better word, denied horse girls who loved the horses but was never able to actually own one. Um, and so when I was practicing law, I got my first horse when I was in my early thirties and it was so amazing. It was just such a wonderful experience. And I I did the absolute stupid thing and bought a two-year-old green horse and, and I learned a lot in a a big hurry. Um, you know, I'd ridden as much as I could as a kid, but there's nothing like riding a a two-year-old, uh, quarter horse to teach you exactly how bad of a rider you are. Um, and I learned a lot from him and he, uh, he, uh, got me through vet school and, um, but yeah, it, you know, it came a point when I was practicing law and I had to make a decision about what, if that was what I wanted to do the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, it was not for me. And, and I had someone ask me if you could do anything you wanted, what would it be? And I said, well, I'd be a vet. And, uh, I was like, well, why don't you do that? And I said, well, I'll be 38 when I finish vet school. He looked at me and said, well, you're going to be 38 anyway. Wow. So, I mean, that was pretty, pretty good uh, advice. And I think it served me well. You know, I was definitely yeah. a, an older vet student, but I think I made a ton out of it. And I started working at the track in, back home in Can- Canterbury Park in Minnesota while I was in vet school. And that really got me interested in the regulatory side. And how rewarding is it for you being able to do what you do now and um, playing such a role in, in keeping these races safe? And and uh, like you said, all the steps and all of the things that go into it, it, it must mean a lot to you to be able to do that. Yeah, it, it, I really enjoy what I do. I think that mm-hmm. 
we're making a huge difference in racing. We're making a big difference for the horses. Um, you know, it, it's not always an easy job. Some days are really frustrating and really bad days for lack of a better word. Um, but I think that overall we are moving the needle incredibly far for these horses. And tell me a little bit about that. As you mentioned, it's not just about first, but it is about racing in general. And I think what you and your team are doing really is setting, setting the bar and setting a great example for racing and the steps that we're taking. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that comes from, you know, all the way from the top of the Stronic group through every, all of our senior management, there is a, um, a focus on safety. Um, you know, we, we really, I, it was funny when I first came and, and worked with uh, Stronic Group, it was in my, my last role, which was as a, the executive director of uh, a medication consortium that made recommendations to the, the country. And I was looking the other day, there was a document that we all signed that basically was a kind of a, a call for reform on the industry that, you know, was things like decreasing medication in racing and training and, um, you know, ensuring that horses are sound when they go out, making sure horses are examined and making sure horses are um, um, watched on the track and decreasing whip use and all these things. And it was interesting to see how those aspirational goals, how quickly they came into focus and how quickly mm -hmm. they, they really spread across the country. And I'm really proud of some of the things that we've done that have been picked up in jurisdictions that we don't even have a track in. So, well, Pegasus World Cup, the sixth running coming up this weekend, and uh, I know I'm I've been really excited to see how it's grown, how the event has developed. Um, this will be my sixth one as well. Uh, tell me a little bit on your end how things have moved along uh, for this particular weekend. Yeah, I mean, so we're we're at the point of getting make, making sure we have all of our resources. We have. Um, we increased the number of veterinarians that we have on site during this event. Uh, we're actually having a vet, one of our senior vets from uh, Laurel come down and work this weekend. Mm -hmm. So we'll have um, a total of eight vets on the track when Pegasus, the Pegasus races are going on, um, which is basically, as you know, one every furlong for the track, mm -hmm. which is amazing coverage. Um, it'll allow us if there is any in, in emergency to respond very quickly. It'll all also allow us to watch the horses very closely as they're warming up to hopefully prevent any potential injuries if we see anything that is um, not right with a horse. Um, you know, so we'll, we're really working on making sure we have enough veterinarians and coverage and we're all planned out where, we're, where we need to be. Um, you know, every horse that races that day will, will be examined by one of our veterinarians. Um, we also do um, drug testing on every graded stakes this weekend. So we will um, get what's called TCO2 testing prior to racing. Um, you know, and then it's just really trying to make sure um, we make all the best decisions we can, which is always the hardest part because we're all human and that makes that's always a challenge. Mm -hmm. Well, cannot wait for this weekend. Um, Dr. Benson, thank you so much for taking the time and, and giving a little insight as well. Look forward to seeing you and, and wishing you all the best this weekend. Thank you. We'll see you this weekend.
very happy to welcome in two special guests joining me now. It's actually the first time on my podcast that I've had the opportunity to have two guests on at once. So it should be fun. Very pleased to welcome in Greg Harbutt and Ray Daniels from EBS and Living the Dream Stables. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Greg, let's start with you. You are the chairman of the uh, Ed Brown Society and and this was an organization founded by Living the Dream Racing and Stables. Will you t- t- tell me a little bit about the Ed Brown Society and the background behind it? Uh, well, I'll be happy to. Uh, Living the Dream uh, was a racing partnership that we formed uh, probably about four years ago where we wanted to bring in more diversity and inclusion within racing. And from that syndicate, uh, a few of the syndicate members decided that we wanted to start an organization that would really promote the rich history uh, that African-Americans have contributed to uh, racing in the past and really bring exposure to the young people that are currently uh, with us today to expose them to that and to really bring forth uh, the great opportunities that abound in racing from a career standpoint. So a few of us uh, started the Ed Brown Society with that uh, mission uh, point. And I believe you have a your family has a great history in horse racing as well. Will you tell me a little bit about that and how that kind of played an inspirational role in, in what you're doing today? Uh, absolutely. So I am a third generation a horseman. Uh, my great grandfather was a gentleman by the name of Will Harbert, who gained a lot of notoriety with his association as the groom uh, to the great man of war. And my grandfather, Tom Harbert, was a very accomplished horseman in his own right. Uh, he was a stud manager for Spencer from the heyday when they had a lot of champions. And uh, gained some notoriety as well uh, when he exercise right uh, was the exercise rider for a war admiral, uh, the Triple Crown winner. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. So cool. I'm sure you had some amazing stories about that time as well. Um, Ray, I want to bring you in. You are the president of, of the Ed Brown Society um, and also managing member of Living the Dream Racing and Stables. Um, tell me a little bit of, about the syndicate uh, in itself. Well, the syndicate, uh, as Greg mentioned, we started with the first syndicate um, and we had uh, a lot of fun cultivating great experiences at the track, um, highlighting African-American or minority ownership uh, in the thoroughbred industry. Uh, What we learned was uh, we didn't see a lot of people like us um, at the track and we didn't see a lot of minorities in ownership. So Greg and I um, uh, started with the concept of let's expand this syndicate model let's begin more syndicates uh, and let's introduce more folks into ownership because ultimately we can't really change or could not change the industry on the employment side, on the internship side, without having a powerful voice uh, in the ownership suite. Uh, And so as it stands, we are on our fifth syndicate and we have just launched our first all-female African-American syndicate. Awesome. That's so cool. And I, I believe you have a little bit of a background in racing as well with Necker Island. Tell me a little bit about your experience and what brought you into the sport in the first place. Well, um, you know, I was told early on that, that, that folks that spend as much time as we do in this industry around horses have an affinity and a love for them. Uh, and I'm no different. Uh, my first experience with a horse was in a week-long horse camp at the YMCA. Uh, and after that experience of spending a whole week uh, taking care of your horse, feeding your horse, walking your horse, riding your horse, uh, washing your horse, uh, I understood the beauty and the power uh, within the, uh, the, this beautiful animal. Uh, I met Greg Harbert. I've always wanted to be an owner. Um, we started the syndicate. Uh, we uh, invested in horses uh, in a partnership together. 
we were uh, very lucky and fortunate to uh, stumble on the um, opportunity to uh, to buy into Necker Island. Uh, and so, you know, the rest is history. Uh, we are expanding our operations to really focus on stakes uh, level horses. Uh, and we hope that uh, 2022 uh, we uh, have an uh, unbelievable year. And Greg, going back to you, will you tell me a little bit about what uh, some of the response has been like so far with your syndicate and with getting people involved? Because as we all know, sometimes all it takes is giving people a little taste of what this game really is and the excitement that it has. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's, it's been very uh, rewarding to see in a short period of time the growth and the buzz uh, that this has created. Uh, you know, this is a great sport. And we're really happy to promote it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, especially with minorities, just know that they could participate or how to participate. Uh, so now that they're actually able to see representation and they actually see uh, minority ownership uh, groups uh, attending the races, but not only attending, but being participants, uh, it, it, it's been really uh, it's been really rewarding just to see the phone calls and the emails of people saying, I want to get in, how do I get in? So in a short period of time, we, we've seen rapid growth. Uh, we uh, very much so expect to continue to grow, and uh, especially with this partnership of uh, FIRST and taking on internships and, and, and for them, uh, the casual race fan, to be able to see more uh, representation. I think this would just be beneficial not only uh, uh, for FIRST, but for the industry as a whole. And you teed up my next question perfectly. Really big news and a really exciting partnership with First, of course, with the Pegasus World Cup coming up this weekend. A huge opportunity for two interns. Will you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I'll jump right in. So it's always it's always been our passion, um, quite frankly, is to use uh, and capitalize on our ownership uh, in this industry to bring uh, the uh, – to highlight the need to have more people of color uh, involved uh, in the industry at the various different jobs and opportunities. And so we're excited to uh, give the exposure and the access to our two interns, the lifelong relationships that they will build, uh, the, uh, the information and knowledge that they will garner by spending time with uh, industry leaders at first and Stronic, uh, really, quite frankly, is life-changing. And that was the kind of exposures that we really set about starting and having. And so we're excited to finally get off the ground. First two interns will begin their placement this spring at, at Gulfstream Park, my home track as well. And it's a collaborative type of internship. And Ray, as you mentioned, really a, a life-changing opportunity. And it must be really rewarding for you all as well to see some of these opportunities created. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I, I look back upon my own personal business career. You can look back upon your career and you uh, quickly understand that uh, the introductions that you made at a very young age to venture into that career, uh, the relationships that you built and the knowledge base that you uh, garnered uh, were critical to your success that you currently have. And we, we, uh, we don't see it any different. Uh, the relationship with Stronic is unique in that they are allowing us to really collaborate to reduce barriers to entry. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that we wanted to really focus on. We wanted to make sure that we had paid internships, that we had housing, and we had key exposure to uh, key, key uh, industry leaders uh, for these students to have and spend time with and learn from. So they really worked with us on reducing the barriers, and, uh, and we're very appreciative for it. Greg, I'll bring you back in on this as well, because I know that 
it's still an opportunity for the Ed Brown Society to provide direction to these interns as well. So that collaborative part of it, how important is it for you to be able to to be those mentors and to be able to provide and really invest in, in the next generation? It's very important, you know, as, as being one of a uh, few African-Americans uh, active in the business, uh, you know, to have a, a hands-on and, and, and current approach, I think is very important. Uh, important for me to be able to still engage with the students, mentor them, and, uh, you know, sort of be able to steer and guide them as they will have questions along the way, especially, you know, from a career path standpoint and, and, and ventures that they'll want to choose at the end of the internship. So I think that's an important component and, uh, you know, very happy to be able to lend my uh, knowledge to those uh, students when they have questions. Greg, will you tell me some of the overarching goals of the Ed Brown Society? What are some of the things that you would really like to see happen throughout this venture? Uh, you know, to bring more students in, uh, to create more awareness of the opportunities that abound, to continue to spread the rich history that African-Americans have contributed, and ultimately to partner with other key industry leaders to continue to expand this and uh, uh, continue to spread the good word of the opportunities that abound within race. Ray, we'll go back to you. Is this the the overarching theme of this podcast? Is usually focusing on um, the sales and, and pedigrees and uh, ownership experiences, and you really cover a lot of those things as well in the syndicate side of, of your venture. Will you tell me a little bit about some of the horses that you are involved in right now, or that your partners have the opportunity to be involved in? Yeah, I mean, we're very excited. Um, you know, we you know when you start a syndicate from the beginning, as you know, you experience a lot of first. And so we were fortunate a couple of weeks ago to experience a really big first where we had uh, two of our horses that we have ownership in run on the same day and one of them in a stakes race at Oak Lawn. Um, nice. And that was a huge experience to, to have our partners, uh, multiple partners in different horses, uh, see that we had back-to-back races uh, was pretty significant. Um, and so we, we have partnered in some really good horses uh, and we have a, you know, we have high hopes, uh, and I don't want to get, you know, over my skis, um, but we, we really expect that uh, next week we've got Miss Bigley that's running at Oaklawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're very excited about the opportunity that Miss Bigley will have, uh, and we have Phantom Menace that will be teed up for a race coming up pretty soon too. So we we we're we're excuse me, Phantom Dance. I got the Star Wars all of a sudden mixed up in my head. Phantom Dance. <laughs> And so we're pretty excited. Uh, you know, I, I stick to the business side of what we do, the logistics, the experience. Mm-hmm. Part of what we do that's uh, pretty unique is that we have been to four or five major events this past year, Derby, Preakness. Uh, we've been up to Saratoga. We've been to, um, uh, of course, we're going down to the Pegasus, and we've been to the Breeders. Mm-hmm. And we cultivate really, uh, really nice experience for our ownership group. Uh, we want to make sure that the equine experience for them encompasses all the fine things and all of the industry things that you see on television. So we, we give those experiences. And so Greg focuses on the uh, actual uh, horse and horses. And uh, you know, to, I'll let him speak to the quality of our team right now mm-hmm. and what we feel like and because uh, that's his specialty. And Greg, take it away. <laughs> Will you tell me a little bit about the process of, of bringing these horses in and, and which horses you decide to offer to your partners? Well, you know, we always look for value. Uh, so, uh, that's the first thing. And then we go from there to pedigree and race record. And, uh, you know, as Ray had mentioned, since our beginning, we really wanted to step up our presence at a higher end level, whether it be allowance or greater stakes level. So that's really been the goal that we set forth last year. And we're sort of reaping that benefit now. As you mentioned, we have uh, partnered in Miss Bigley, uh, 
will be uh, probably the favorite or co-favorite in upcoming uh, grade three by Koa. So we're very excited about her. Mm-hmm. Also uh, purchased a horse by the name of Fascination, uh, who showed great promise first time out at Woodbine uh, when she ran third in a very large field. So uh, we're really excited about those other horses. And then we sort of have sort of the bread and butter horses, uh, some of the mid-tier claiming horses that most stables have. So uh, just looking to continue to expand uh, our stable presence and uh, either buy directly with Living the Dream or continue to partner with individuals uh, to take us to that greatest stakes level. And, and Greg, you've had a lot of experience in choosing greatest stakes winners, I know, as a Bloodstock agent, too. Will you, will you give me a little bit of your background being an agent and, and kind of hitting the ground at those sales? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate. Uh, not only we live in a dream, but I am the proprietor of Harbor Bloodstock, uh, been able to represent some of the uh, leading buyers at the sales and, uh, you know, had a lot of success uh, over the years in purchasing some big horses. So, you know, sales is one of the things that, that drives most agents, and I'm no different. Really look forward to the uh, uh, September sale at Keeneland or the Phasic Tipton uh, Saratoga sale and trying to identify the next talent and uh, uh, purchase a big horse for the clients. What is that feeling like when you've chosen the horse? You, you were there right at the beginning, and either it's for a client or now with your own syndicate, you see that horse go on with some success on the racetrack. Uh, it's no better feeling. It's, it's very rewarding. Uh, <laughs> it's like going from zero to 100 in the uh, stretch drive of a horse race and just see the thrill that it brings not only to you as an agent, uh, but to the owner or the owners and, and to the racing fans, uh, because we, mm-hmm. we cannot forget the fans that, you know, uh, they're cheering on uh, your horse that you've selected for your client or a horse that you own. I mean, it's just a thrilling, exhilarating feeling that uh, I, I wish more people could experience. Yeah, there's nothing like it. And Ray, for you on your side of things and being able to bring people out, will you describe what it's like seeing somebody that's maybe joining your syndicate or has some interest in racing and they have the opportunity to cheer for that horse coming down to the wire? What is that like in bringing people in and seeing racing grab their attention? Um, it is it is a joyous feeling because um, you know at that moment that they are absolutely hooked um, <laughs> and uh, there's no going back for them. Uh, and it's a lifelong memory. We've been, we've had some opportunities to have uh, gentlemen in our syndicates have uh, parents who could not uh, and, uh, attend races themselves, could not or did not have ownership opportunities themselves. And uh, for them to be able to see one of our horses win a race, uh, it's it's very special. Uh, it's usually a family atmosphere, and it's usually. Uh, um, something that we celebrate because uh, you know it's a, this is a twenty percent business. If you're hitting, if you mm-hmm. if you're hitting twenty percent, you're doing really well. So it's not every day, so we don't take it for granted. But when it does happen, it's really special. Those wins are so, so sweet, and you all are doing such amazing work and giving great opportunities uh, to young people and and really excited about this partnership with FIRST. I wish you all the best with it and look forward to seeing you this weekend at the Pegasus World Cup. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having us. And that's another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney in the books. I want to say a big thank you uh, to my guests, to Greg and Ray, and to Dr. Benson for taking the time um, to share some great stories and some great insight leading up to Pegasus World Cup. Uh, apologies if you might have heard my cat in the background or the time when my cats decided to go all WWE on the background when I was recording uh, Dr. Benson's interview. That uh, They often seem to have the best timing as I think now in this 
new virtual world that we do have when you're doing Zoom or phone calls or meetings from home or podcasts, whatever it is, your pets have a knack of uh, inserting themselves into that show, as mine often do. Uh, but Anyway, apologies for that. I'm, I'm sure it won't be the last time as well. Uh, but again, looking forward to the Pegasus World Cup coming up this weekend. A lot of talk about that. And want to say a big thank you uh, to one of our big sponsors, Adelphi Racing Club. Last week's episode, you heard from Matt Kater a little bit more about Adelphi. Adelphi is a racing club of like-minded people who enjoy horse racing and the camaraderie of being a part of something bigger than themselves. It's truly a community. Adelphi's founding partners have all owned horses in other partnerships and syndicates as well as on their own, and the overarching goal with Adelphi is to blend the benefits of solo ownership without the administrative hassle with the thrill of the partnership experience. Adelphi offers an interactive ownership experience with real-time access to other partners, trainers, bloodstock advisors, and other members of the team. Adelphi partners receive frequent multimedia content on their horses, including videos, photos, and partner only podcast content provided by the In The Money Media team, as well as premium on-track, off-track hospitality experiences. Adelphi has an exciting class of yearling prospects by horses such as Street Sense, Lauban, Frosted, and Taprit, and will be launching a brand new claiming and private purchase partnership in January. Be sure to join the club. To get in touch, go to AdelphiRacing.com. You can email Matt at AdelphiRacing.com. On social media, Instagram, it's at Adelphi underscore racing and on Twitter it's at Adelphi Club. Big thank you as always to everybody for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to share and as always if you're interested in something uh, be sure to send me over some ideas. We'll look forward to seeing you next week on In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. Ring. Right.